Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. afternoon and good evening and welcome to this the latest hr on the offensive podcast it's me chris coming to you live from within the lace office although it is a friday at the time of recording so there is absolutely nobody in because nobody comes into the office on friday anymore and london is deserted Uh, i am joined by three other lacers none of whom are in the office because obviously why would they be in the office on friday Uh, we're going to introduce them now because we've got a really interesting topic Uh, actually i'm going to introduce them in a second because i'll frame the topic first before I, I intro them. So I went to a, the company shall remain nameless, but I went to a leaving do for a, another company. It's a friend of mine that lives locally to me. And it's quite a large company, multinational organisation. And uh, I was talking to a group of engineers and they were all telling me about how, oh, you know, the place isn't like what it used to be. And it was so much better in the old days. And it Whilst I was having this conversation, I found it really fascinating because it sounded very familiar. And it was a familiar story because I've been to many leaving dues across different businesses, uh, my own leaving dues at previous businesses. And it doesn't matter what type of business, whether it's white collar, blue collar, whatever sector it's in, some of the stories all sound very similar. And it got me thinking particularly around culture, around how change happens within businesses, around the evolution of culture as well. And that's what I want to focus Focus on today. And to do that, I've brought three fabulous laces in who are going to regale us with some of their own thoughts, opinions, maybe some of their own historical experiences. I'm going to start with the fabulous Ed Sparks. Ed, how you doing, man? Hello, hello. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to put on my grumpy old man hat and talk about just how much better things were back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's say you and I could be the grumpy old men and the wonderful, happy people can be the lovely ladies that we've got joining us. And first of all, it's uh, Romy Hobson. How are you doing, Rams? I'm pretty well. Good. I'm glad I'm not in the office on a Friday. Yeah, you're not going to put your grumpy old man hat on, though, are you? No, I'm I'm feeling quite optimistic today, so I'll, I'll be wearing that hat. But let's just see, let's see how how long it lasts. <laughs> how long the hat stays on your head? And finally, last but not least, I'm introducing Liz Bailey, and the reason she's come last is because she says she's got a fun fact. So, Liz, how are you doing? What's your fun fact? Oh, and then we're all going to laugh at you about it afterwards. I know. You see, now you've drum rolled it too much. So, thank you for having me here today. I was just going to say about the good old days. Actually, one of my old roles, so it wasn't in HR, it was one in the business leadership roles. That I did was head of space imagery and I just wanted to tell you about how excited I am about the fact that one of our programs got launched into space from Cape Canaveral this week which was wow. very cool so the good, the good old day they were good old days when we we're working on projects that went into space so and do you know what it was aimed at so it's telescopes it basically is going to unravel the mysteries of the universe so let's see if we can beat that with current activity that we do yeah <laughs> Interesting. Okay, that was a fun fact. Oh, damn I it, know. Too we, were, cool. we were planning on absolutely <laughs> rinsing Liz there, but let's get into yeah. the actual nub of this conversation. Yeah. Ed, I'll kick it off with you. I just want to, obviously, I framed it there as this conversation that took place. I just want some initial thoughts based on that and then just bring, bring to life some of your own experiences, if that's all right. 
Yeah, so you weren't imagining it. It's actually a behavioral science fact that humans tend to look on the bright side when looking back in the past. Apparently, according to a YouGov poll, uh, 70% of the people think that the world is getting worse. That poll was actually run in 2015, which was arguably before a lot of the things which have happened since, like COVID, like Ukraine and other things have happened. So our human memory memory does have a tendency to filter out those bad experiences. But you're absolutely right. In, in terms of people always looking back and, and thinking that way, it leads to real questions around culture and and the question key being, you know, should culture remain a static entity? You know, the culture is something that outlasts people, it outlasts careers, it's something that sits there forever. Or is it something that should evolve over time? And if it does evolve over time, does it then evoke these memories that you're talking about where people say, you know what, it was better before and it's got a lot worse since. So it's a really interesting debate to have. Liz, from your perspective, I just want to get your take on that. It's an interesting one, isn't it? So there is something aligned actually to a little bit of what Ed was saying there is there's this thing called collective nostalgia. So it, it does actually link. So culture is as much about people feeling part of something and actually collective nostalgia where people, it feels, you know, it's, it's strength in community, especially if business is going through change, people feel that they're more resilient if they're together. So you'll often find that where business is going through significant change, that people are more likely to say, do you remember the good old days? Because it makes them feel a togetherness. So that's another angle as well. It's not always necessarily a bad thing. It can be something mm. where people are sticking together. Yeah, and Rome, just find it from your side. Yeah, people like what they like, don't they? So if, you know, you're you're at a leaving do, someone's probably been there for a while, they're still going to have a leaving do and they've got their colleagues there that they know. But I also think, to be honest, that the type of culture that you have shapes people's behaviour, right? And if you don't change a culture, then you might end up creating patterns of behaviour that you don't want to promote. I guess our experience tells us not all people get culture right first time. So if you don't edit it, if you don't want to iterate it, then you might end up basically stuck in a rut with how people are in the business. So that might not always be <laughs> the right option. Yeah. One of the things that I started to think about when I was thinking about this topic is the importance of certain individuals. And the reason I was thinking about that is, again, we did a podcast with Kevin Metherell from Experian a while ago now on the HR on the Offensive pod where we, we were talking about, he was talking about predictive analytics and things like that. And he was talking about ONA, organizational network analysis, and how you have these individuals within businesses that are almost like the nodes, the central points. And if you take that node, out, you know, they so many people go to them for whatever it is, information or support or guidance, you know, or just, you know, the water cooler type moments and if those people come out of the business it actually impacts particularly from a where we're in a remote and hybrid sort of setting so just want to get I'll, I'll go back to you ed on this just any thoughts around that sort of perspective of this concept of taking individual individuals as this is called nodes out of the business and what impact that could have i don't know if you've got any thoughts on that yeah, it's an interesting one. So, I mean, there are people, like you say, who absolutely embody a culture and whose presence is missed. They almost come to define that company. And the classic example would be Steve Jobs at Apple, right? But there's an argument that Romy, for example, really embodies that culture in lace in terms of that devil we care attitude that we love and know about her. But in, in theory the culture should outlast those people. If the culture is built correctly and strongly, it should. And again, the Steve Jobs example is interesting. Steve Jobs sadly passed away, but Apple still continues to thrive and grow. So if we're getting this right, then actually people should come in, people should contribute, people should help evolve the culture, but the company itself does not rely on those people to maintain that culture going forward. Rames, do you think 
it's almost incumbent on businesses to recognise these sort of people and then also mitigate the need for them. And as you were just saying, Ed, like the culture needs to evolve beyond one person. For an example, I know that, you know, I've talked to you, you work in my team and we've talked about the podcasting side and how I do the podcast all the time, but it should, it needs to evolve beyond just perhaps me being that sort of centralized host, because actually this is a lace podcast that we do. It's lace topics that we had. I, I facilitate it, but you know, we need to get to a point. I know I'm talking a more tactical operation thing, but I just want to get to your thoughts from that perspective. I think people talk a lot about the personality hire, right? And I really, I kind of hate it because I think often it's used as a negative to say that they don't have the right skill sets, but they've got that personality. But I do think there's a point to it, right? And you know who those personality hires are because they lift up the culture. People do feel that they're connected to that person as a part of the organisation. But I think... So I think that culture, when, you come, when you're first new in, a, in an environment, you don't know what the culture is. So you probably mute your personality and you kind of are just this very vanilla person who arrives on the first day. So it doesn't say very much. I mean, I didn't do that. but Just like Ed. Yeah, just like you and Ed. Just like <laughs> yeah, you and Ed. Romy and Ed. Certainly <laughs> yeah, great examples. We don't have anyone there who's going to meet that criteria, but a lot of people do that. But then you meet maybe this personality who's in the business, who is able to show more of themselves and have, you know, a bit more to them. And I think that it comes from a leadership perspective as well. Like, I think often if the leaders are authentic and able to admit vulnerabilities, able to have fun, able to, you know, decide that halfway through the afternoon they're going to go and get ice creams with everyone and take a break and do these things it that is where the culture can evolve beyond one person and I, that's, I find that really fascinating Romy because what's quite interesting is you have a startup business so Lace for example back in 2014 the culture was built from Kathy and Aaron and what they wanted it to be but what happens do you, does that mean you have subcultures in larger organizations so is it that you know you can have in one function a leader that does something like that you know this is fun we're gonna let's all take a break it's a hot day let's go get an ice cream so is that a subculture that's that's an area for me that is really interesting I don't think necessarily nowadays you have overall organizational cultures in big organizations so this is a really interesting thing. and ed i'd love to get your take on this because i think i've talked about this on podcasts as well it's like it's all very well small business where you've got 15 people and you're all on one site saying we're all going to do this and you have a certain culture but even us as a business as we grow larger our culture is going to naturally evolve but then i start to think and i'm sure i've talked to you know cpos who run multi you know thousands and thousands of people company and they've got 300 sites across europe or whatever it is and how on earth are you going to have a site that's in Sicily going to have the same culture as the one in London so just some thoughts on that and I don't want to keep you locked out of this head because I know you've always got an opinion my friend absolutely never let you down so I mean firstly yeah there are elements to culture to Romy's point which are a little bit dangerous and that you can't just recruit people that feel like fun people according to you and your own internal biases and, and there's a you know element of danger to culture when it comes to that there are ways to maintain culture across sites and large organizations a key one would be through leadership and that leadership messaging through the traditions that you espouse whether it's through your reward and recognition 
recognition program, through the kind of office space that you have, through your policies in terms of letting people meet and collaborate with each other as well. But it's really important that you allow that space for evolution and and growth of that culture as well. And a good example there is is the military. So the military must have a culture of obedience and following your commanding officer. If it doesn't, it will all fall apart. So absolutely, that will be there. It will be timeless. But as we see in the modern military, they're trying to you know devolve decision making to the ground levels to let commanders make better decisions there on the ground. So they're having to allow local commanders to make those decisions. So again, an evolution of this idea that you just stand there and wait to be told to fire to actually making those decisions yourself. But embedding that culture is really, really important and key. And I think leadership, if I could call out one thing, would be the key element to do that. Yeah, I think that's a that's a big thing, isn't it? That leadership side. So question I've got, I'll kick off with you, uh, Romy, on this one. How healthy, so I'll go back to the original sort of example that I gave right at the beginning of the pod of you know, turning up at this pub and you've got all of these people who have worked past and present, but you've also got the new people that are joining as well. And one of the questions that I asked myself when I was listening to this, because I, I sat in, a, I stood in a circle and there's three or four of these chaps that are all talking about the good old days. And there's one person that's been there about a month. And I thought to myself, how healthy is that to be having that conversation? So just some thoughts around that narrative. So I think people's perspective Obviously, we've talked about that nostalgia, but I also think culture's not going to always fit everyone 100%. It's always going to appeal more to certain people, right? So if you say you want to have pizza Thursdays, margarita Mondays, or whatever it is, there's going to be a few people that don't want to have margaritas on a Monday, and they certainly don't want to have to take lunch break at one o'clock to go and, you know, go to the pub on a team meeting. Maybe they don't want to do that. They That's okay. So there has to be a flexibility for people... If they want to, they can opt in, but it has to be absolutely fine if they don't want to do that as well. And I think that's where a lot of organisations get upset where, you know, they expect everyone to be a family or come together at the same time. But actually, sometimes they don't want to do that. And that's all right. Yeah. Liz, I know Ed's also keen to get in on this. So I'll go for you first and then back to Mr Sparks. Yeah, I mean, in terms of what Romy was saying there, I think that you could get and your pub example, Chris, around someone that's new listening to the good old days. I think that it can have pros and cons, actually. So I, I've been in that situation myself and I've stood there and thought, well, thank goodness I'm not in the good old days, actually, because I've heard, you know, you come in and you listen, don't you, when you join a company and you hear about the good old days, you always do. There will definitely be that element, but also you can see where the change is and you know your reasons for joining. So I think it's pros and cons. I think I think where it becomes dangerous is where because there's no there's actually nothing wrong you know with the good old days that we talked about it before around that kind of feeling togetherness unless it's negative about the current days is it you can have both you can have both so Ed what were you what were you thinking? Yeah, Lint. I mean, we've got a really important role to play within HR on this around that employee value proposition. So, so to Romy's point, it shouldn't be luck of the draw. You, you join a new company and, ah, oh, it just turns out it's not for you. And, and it is weird sometimes when people do turn up like that, then they leave, they join another company that does exactly the same thing and they thrive and shine. And it's because they found that right culture. So we need to be clear in our employee value proposition up front, what kind of a company we are, what kind of a culture we have. And even just a quick research on the different types of people promises and EVPs out there. There's so much difference. You know, we are the mavericks. We are the renegades. We like to fail fast. <laughs> Doesn't work in an oil company with a, an emphasis on safety, for example. And, you know, different elements, different companies can really project that sense of culture and what's important to them so that at the point that you're looking at that job in the first place, you can get a sense of whether that feels right for you. 
Yeah. Do you know what's interesting? What you're saying there, I've just written down the values and alignment of those values. And I guess I kind of wanted to touch this because, Romans, you touched on this earlier. So I'll start with you about recruiting. You don't all want to recruit the same type of people. But actually, also, what you do want to recruit is people that have similar sort of values, don't you? Because exactly as Ed's example, we're all the mavericks, you know, we've got a different type of culture over here. So I want to get your take on one of the questions I had was like, developing a culture through the recruitment style but actually i guess it's aligned to a personal sort of values and those values aligning to the values of the business as well so controversially i actually am a really strong believer in hiring people for the right skills i think that it's okay if someone doesn't think the same way as you but that's because i'm probably the first person to tell people my opinion when i don't agree with them right and i like to be told that <laughs> i can confirm that's my... this i can confirm this <laughs> that's my that's my style and i and i mean maybe it's because i've got a background working in lots and lots of startups where it's all about you know that cultural fit but the thing is is that people overpromise on the culture and they try and say it to family and that people are you'll forgive any mistake but then it's actually quite ruthless because it's a startup so you know you're hiring all these people and they're lovely and they are exactly like you but they don't necessarily have the skills that you need to succeed and that's where firstly people overpromise and get disappointed with the culture and then also you're not actually got you haven't got the skill sets to to move forward so i guess just ever such a slightly different view which is i've i've seen where it doesn't so if you bring someone in just on skills and that they're completely not not fit for the culture i can i've seen where that has had quite an impact i think not necessarily an impact on the culture but an impact on the person and the people around them what i would say is that well one of the questions i'd throw back to you guys is how much can you contrive via recruitment the culture and it's not necessarily recruiting for culture fit but actually could you have a strategy around culture where you you do recruit people that are different to the culture but they add so it's about you've got almost this strategy this plan for where you want to take the culture because it aligns with business performance and objectives and therefore you recruit the type of people it's not just the skills you need for the business but the type of people as well so is it can you plan it yeah can you can you plan culture that much go on in it you have a stab at that I mean, I like the idea, but it's a can of worms, right? Because, yeah. uh, right, so you're deliberately recruiting people who don't think like you. And there's all sorts of reasons why that's a good thing and boosts innovation and productivity and all the rest of it. But it also could, especially in a smaller company, destroy the very fabric of, of what it is that you're <laughs> trying to build and create these huge fissures and rifts. And I think the only thing you can do there is, is experiment and see. But no company should stand still. And every company should be open to new ideas. And it's a sad fact that the longer you stay in a company, the more senior you get, whilst also the more entrenched in your view you'll get to the point where you now have the power to turn around to anyone else and say, now we're not doing that. Right. So I just want to clarify that I don't mean getting in the most disruptive, you know, <laughs> like the, the, the way that this has gone makes it sound like I'm saying, do you know what? Get someone, get someone in who you hate, you know, find them a person that is completely different morals. I think there has to be a minimum viable, viable product, right, in terms of the matchmaking, yeah. right? So don't hire someone who's going to like going down the tear the business now, apart and like pick apart all of your current strategy. Don't do that. But it's more that if they have the right skill sets and roughly 
they align with your morals and the basic minimum viable product of of getting along and working nicely together then then it's not then it is okay if they don't want to partake in parts of the culture that they don't get on with yeah so that was my yeah. point not do not yeah. I, I do not <laughs> forget condone. culture recruit skills see now i'm toying with the idea of romy joining the military and taking orders what effect on national security Honestly, I think yeah. that would be a matter of a, a big problem. So let's let's not go down that route. I love it. I love it. I've got one more question, and I want to give a bit of a, a free swim as a final sort of wrap up to each of you as a, you know, any final thoughts. And that's the final question around the link between culture and business performance. How much do you think culture does impact business performance and the reason i've got that question in uh, this has got a hand raised already so she's going first like normally yeah, I, norm- I move this around i normally move this uh, i normally move this around but liz has already jumped ahead of the queue the, the virtual queue <laughs> sure? um but yeah it's, i find this interesting particularly because we've just been running this campaign recently around redefining workforce productivity around performance and so i think that kind of linked to culture is quite a, an interesting topic to to open up on so liz you've uh, you've obviously got some opinions yeah, we there were, so kick us off well we were having a good conversation about this yesterday weren't we chris but yeah. i actually think so if you have a positive culture it doesn't necessarily need to be a specific culture but if it's a positive culture and it's aligned to going back to what ed was saying about aligned to the, what people were expecting right so you're delivering on your promise of the employee value proposition etc and people are happier they are more resilient to change and when people there's changes all the time businesses at the moment well always but especially at the moment and people are much more resilient I think to those changes when they're happier so culture equals the right culture equals happy happy people positive people more likely to embrace change and if you're embracing change you're much more likely to maintain a level of performance or high performance whilst the business changes so I think it's just directly related to my view. Good. Yeah, fully agree. If you embrace the culture, then it means by definition you are an engaged employee. And there's all sorts of studies that show that if you are an engaged employee, the productivity goes through the roof on a percentage term. So it's it's just basic yeah. fact yeah. that alignment to culture is more effective. Yeah, and we've done a podcast with Tracy Brewer, who um, is a US-based sort of thought leader around the links between happiness and engagement and productivity so that if you're listening in if you just uh, search on the hr on the offensive back catalog you'll be able to find that podcast that we've got with tracy but rome's just to kind of follow us up before we then wrap into any final thoughts from the from the rest of the group I guess to turn it on its head, I think that just making sure that your employees are not unhappy is a big part. And culture plays a huge part in that glue that holds everyone together and makes the business work. And I think that's why I said I was going to be optimistic, but I've just turned it onto an into an unhappy topic. But I think if if you are worried that your teams aren't getting along well, that the culture isn't meeting the expectation, then that is a problem. And you probably don't even know how much of a problem it is, you know, from the outside. So I think it's often people don't know what, how many ripple effects there are when there is one one or two people causing trouble in an organisation or, you know, clashing with with a culture. So I guess my, my kind of takeaway to that is saying, 
investigate it, put some listening channels in, find out what it is, and then work to do kind of slow iterative changes to make people feel better again, because otherwise it is kind of <laughs> insidious. I don't think you should ever say insidious when you said you're going to be optimistic about five minutes later, but, you know, I'll stick with that. <laughs> I love it. So we're um, we're coming towards the end of the pod, so it's, a, it's free swim time. Any final thoughts on this kind of sort of topic? And uh, Liz, don't worry, Liz, I am going to, I'm going to kick off with you. Um, <laughs> those who this is an audio platform and for those who yeah. didn't know the person who if we were having a competition who raises their hands the most liz bailey would be the winner of that uh, particular competition so liz Thank final you, thoughts and, to to end, and then and I'll finish off with rome so it's yeah, only because any, any i always thought thoughts? it would be better for the to finish on those guys rather than me but my my final thought is just to link back to the good old days you know so i i from my perspective that's not necessarily a bad thing i think it is it brings people together if it, it, it that part of the culture is actually good memories from the good old days but also embracing current culture now i don't think it's a bad thing i think it's a, it's actually a good thing yeah and ed uh, jerry springer style final thought yeah absolutely i mean look it's fun to complain about the present and to hark back to the good old days in the past and I think for many of us, if not the majority, if you look back on a macro level over the decades, there have been spectacular improvements in how we how we live and work from flexible working to diversity and inclusivity and other elements as well. As humans, we have this thing called loss aversion, right? Losing 10 quid is much more painful than gaining 10 quid. But think over the years of all the 10 quids that you have gained in whatever form, and actually it's a more positive story. So yes, it's fun to look, to look back, but there's always a positive silver lining. Yeah. Rome, just a final thought of thought from you, please. Yeah, I just think I think exactly the same. I think I don't think we should be afraid of the fact that people do look back with nostalgia. It means you had something worth looking back on. Right. And then you've got people leaving that organisation and there's new people coming in who are going to come in and really embrace some of the positive changes or different things that you've embedded in your culture since then. So I think it's all right. You know, grass is always greener. So as we know, it's probably OK that <laughs> some people will moan when when change is happening. But actually, we all enjoy a good moan, as Ed said, so why not? Yeah, you yeah. especially. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, uh, that's been absolutely fantastic getting your thoughts from the three of you wonderful people today. Thank you very much for joining me, Rhymes. Thank you so much. And Liz. Pleasure. And finally, last but not least, the man, the time, the place, Ed Sparks. Thank you very much, mate. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thank you for having us. Of course, you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all of the usual major platforms. If you just search for HR on the Effective, and then you will be able to find us. Or you can just visit the Lace Partners website, lacepartners.co.uk forward slash insights. You'll see our podcast catalogue. You'll see a lot of the blogs that we write. We've got video content. We have webinars. We've got lots of fabulous things going on. So check us out. We'd love to see you there. And hopefully we will see you next time on the HR on the Effective podcast. Bye-bye.